<clears throat> this is a podcast episode. This speaking is the cold open that starts the podcast episode. The script is to help introduce the episode. We hope to draw your attention to it and encourage you to listen. When you have done that, maybe you'll be persuaded to keep listening to the podcast. In this case, Discord and Rhymes episode on XTC's The Big Express. But if you have a free mind, you should stop listening now. Because all we are attempting to do is to get you to subscribe. We're letting you know that you ought to subscribe to our podcast because in essence, it's a product. And products are to be consumed. And you are a consumer. And this is a good product. A good podcast cold open should be considered as one that gets you to subscribe to the podcast. But that never actually happens to you because you know that it's just a cold open for the podcast. And this is Discord and Rhyme. <laughs> Climb aboard, climb aboard, you listeners. <laughs> nice one. Welcome to Discord and Rhyme, a podcast where we discuss our favorite albums, song by song. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and generally where podcasts are found. And you can find show notes and our full episode archive at our website, discordpod.com. Roll call. John McFerrin. Rich Bennell. Ben Marlin. Dan Watkins. We have some new Patreon donors, Andreas and Gary. Many thanks to both of you. Yeah, Gary sent a really, really nice email, by the way. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, Gary is great. If other listeners have notes and coins to spare and want to send them our way, you can visit patreon.com slash discord pod. And there are some fun perks like bonus episodes. For everyone else who's already signed up, we really appreciate the support. And now, let's turn it over to this week's host, Rich. What album did you choo-choo choose for us, Rich? <laughs> I choo-choo chose the 1984 album The Big Express by XTC. Why did you choose The Big Express by XTC? Uh, well, a little bit of Discord and Rhyme history. Uh, so this is our second try at an XTC episode, our, our go-to, so to speak. Our fifth episode was supposed to be Chips from the Chocolate Fireball by the Dukes of Stratosphere, which is XTC's psychedelic alter egos. And we recorded it and everything. But my microphone borked and my file turned out to be unusable, and we had to scuttle the episode. And uh, <laughs> this is the only time we've had to do that, and it's my fault, so it keeps me humble. But anyway, <laughs> I took it as a message from the podcasting prophets that we weren't ready yet. And I decided to put them on the shelf for a little while. I went with The Big Express this time because it's the weirdest XTC album. And I almost always side with the weird one, the album with the most sounds I've never heard before. <laughs> I love The Big Express because it represents kind of a bridge between their early, squirrely, new wave albums like, say, Drums and Wires and Black Sea. Uh, and the more ornate studio pop of their later albums like Skylarking and Nonsuch. So on this album, you get all of their sounds sort of mushed together like a marble cake or... You know, one of many varieties of British pudding, I'm sure. Uh, and band leader Andy Partridge is at his absolute most creative here as a songwriter, as well as his most aggravating, which is an essential part of the equation. <laughs> yeah, that is true. 
So, Rich, why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal history with XTC while I take a walk around the block? (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to be that long. So I've known my co-host for a while, and uh, we know all of our individual tastes really well, but I think I'll always kind of be the XTC guy to all of you. What? (laughs) Elvis. Yeah, I actually found our little community of websites because I looked the band up on Yahoo, and I found that perennial Ben Marlin favorite Wilson and Alroy's record reviews had covered them. (laughs) Anyway, I went on to just... I didn't shut up about them. XTC were the greatest band I had ever heard in my life out of about 25 bands and all roads led back to them as far as I was concerned. So I first learned about XTC via They Might Be Giants, the other band I didn't and still don't shut up about. So their factory showroom album features the song XTC versus Adam Ant, where uh, John Flansburg pits the two groups against each other in a battle of content versus form. It's never been one of my favorite They Might Be Giant songs, and honestly, to me, that presents a false dichotomy. I have nothing against Adam Ant. But anyway, (laughs) They Might Be Giant's fans online spoke very highly of XTC, so I decided to check them out. So using some Christmas money when I was 14, I went to Media Play, and I picked up their compilation Waxworks, and I put it in my new CD player, and I just literally thought the music was broken. What the hell was this? What do you even call this noise? (laughs) What do you call that? My brain was developing and quickly rearranged itself to find this music listenable and even kind of catchy and good and maybe really, really great. And when I realized this, I immediately became the youngest, most annoying XTC fan on the Internet. Uh, (laughs) The Internet Archive, Usenet, the Deep Web, they're all littered with instances of teenage rich informing people that actually XTC are better than whatever music you like. So I even irritated other XTC fans. Uh, I joined the mailing list Chalk Hills and got into a bunch of arguments about Duran Duran uh, with a gentleman named Dom, who I I looked this up and it turns out it was the Honorable Dominic Lawson, editor of the Sunday Telegraph and the Spectator and still a regular columnist for the Sunday Times. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, Dom, if you're listening, I'm sorry I was such a pill. (laughs) <laughs> but Duran Duran are still great, so f*** off. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, so as for me, uh, Rich tried hard to uh, get me into XCC while uh, we crossed paths at Berkeley, and while I was there, he failed. <laughs> he did give me all of XTC's studio albums in MP3 form, but I just didn't get around to them because I was too busy listening to Vandegraaff Generator. After I left Berkeley and started working full-time, I decided... This is dumb. I should at least give this band a shot. And so I decided to go with their most famous and best regarded album, Skylarking. And I took to it right away. In particular, I fell in love instantly with the song That's Really Super Supergirl. That's really super Thank you. 
later uh, on a car trip uh, with my brother to see our grandmother, my brother insisted that we listen to Black Sea by the band from 1980 and... Somehow this was the second XTC album I listened to, even though several years had passed since I'd first listened to Skylarkin. And sure enough, I really, really liked it. At that point, I was like, okay, I've got to start getting seriously into this band. And even from there, it took a few years. Um, it was a band where the main reason I was able to get into them was my propensity to put my iPod on shuffle. I had a lot of difficulty listening to their albums uh, in full, but hearing a little bit of XTC at a time was a really uh, good entry for me into their overall work. And and I've come to a point where I, I like them a lot. Now, as for The Big Express, I, I like this album quite a bit. This is one of their more difficult albums uh, for me, even as one that uh, I, I enjoy plenty. As we'll get into, I love some of the songs, and a lot of them make me go, yep, that is an XTC song with Andy at his most Andy. <laughs> but overall, I, I, I've, I've come to like this album quite a bit. But yeah, this was a bit of a stretch for me uh, for a while. Ben, what about you? I've been an XTC fan since Wilson and Allroy's record review site declared that they were the best band of the 1980s. And as such, I decided that they were the best band of the 1980s <laughs> before I even heard any of their music. That's how sharp my musical sense is. They didn't uh, lead you astray. <laughs> because I'm a good guy, I did actually seek out and listen to their albums, and it turned out that they were really, really good. And uh, thanks to that, I went through a big XTC phase in college. Um, as was often the case back then, I was spurred on by, by Rich's love of XTC. He's a great proselytizer. Uh, his reviews and our, our conversations on AOL Instant Messenger not a real thing, kids. I totally made it up. <laughs> um, our conversations energized me and, and got me to appreciate aspects of XTC's music that I might not have paid attention to otherwise. I haven't listened to them in a while, mostly because I absorbed their music so deeply in college. I know a lot of the albums note for note, and I can kind of listen to them in my head. And I don't know that I can say that about much else that I absorbed in college. Uh, so it's been a while, but I'm a big fan. Andy Partridge has such a unique musical vision. Uh, the band makes driving rock and roll without falling back on generic power chords. Andy's lyrics are clever, but also really funny. He never takes himself too seriously, as, as cranky as he can get. His hooks are as sticky and melodic as almost anybody else's, but they're always just to the left or right of being commercial. You end up with these classic pop rock songs that get to be your little secret, uh, at least until this episode. Thanks, Rich. We are the most popular music podcast there is. <laughs> They're all going to know now. Everyone should know about them, but you can sort of understand why they don't know about them. But you're happy you know about them. As for the Big Express, I'm sort of with John on this. Uh, I don't know it as well, even though I listen to it a lot. Uh, I remember the chorus of Rain of Blows, but does it have verses? I really couldn't tell you. I think that's partly the jagged and opaque nature of the album, uh, but it might also be that Andy Partridge made his hooks more flowing and melodic after this. Uh, but in any case, I'm so glad that Rich chose this one. Uh, I'm excited to dive deep into it, even if I cut myself on some of the sharp edges. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I picked this one is because it's a little bit divisive and uh, it's not just going to be a love fest for every song. All right, Dan, what about you? Well, the short answer is rich. <laughs> I, I can't remember specifically how I saw you proselytizing XTC, but 
I remember I, I had seen Skylarking mentioned on a list in a magazine of like one of those albums you must hear. And it just so happened that was the only album that the BMG Music Club had uh, available. So it seemed like as good enough a place to, as any to start. And it really didn't quite hit me at first. I was listening to a lot of punk and I think I was getting into Devo a lot at the time. So it was a little overly kind of ornate and flowery, I think, for me at the time. So not long after I stumbled on Drums and Wires, which had the exact sort of jagged edges that were what I was into at the time. And that was the one that really was my way in. And kind of like John, it was sort of a slow ascent into being a or ascension into being an XTC fan. Individual albums could kind of be a bit much, but over the years, they're kind of a band who have really grown to like more and more as I've sort of soaked in their albums. And, uh, and for the record, I do love Skylarking now. Uh, and this album in particular, I always liked it, but going back to it and hearing it in depth has really made me appreciate it as being a really one of their most interesting albums, I think. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. And Dan, when we all met up last year, you gave me a free vinyl copy of this album. So thank you. That's why you're on this episode. (laughs) You bribed me. Earned my spot. All right, Rich, why don't you give us a history of XTC and how we ended up with this particular album at this particular point? All right. of XTC starts with schoolyard mates Andy Partridge and Colin Moulding, students at Headland School in the town of Swindon, England in the early 70s. The two met in the band Clark Kent, who played the school dance and apparently were so bad they drove everyone from the room. <laughs> but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> this began a whirlwind series of lineup changes under Partridge under names including Star Park, Star Park 2, and the Helium Kids with a Z. By 1977, the band had solidified into a four-piece punk-slash-new-wave lineup of Partridge on guitar, Molding on bass, Terry Chambers on drums, and Barry Andrews on keyboards. They eventually settled on the name XTC after Jimmy Durante's exclamation, That's it! I'm an XTC! After finding the lost chord. Y'all can't help yourselves. Yeah, see, Jimmy Durante did the legwork for the Moody Blues. Uh, So XTC released their first two albums, White Music and Go To, in 1978. And this incarnation of the band is very frenetic, hypercharged, and high-pitched, with Barry Andrews' keyboards at the front of the sound, uh, and not anywhere near their peak. But even at this stage, you get some left-field wit from Andy Partridge, like like a love song to the Statue of Liberty with the reframe, Impaled on your hair, what do you do-do-do to me? (laughs) You've been the subject so many dreams since I climbed your torso. Oh, my statue of liberty. Impale on your hair. Why do you do 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 to me? 
band then ditched Barry Andrews and recruited Dave Gregory, who is an amazingly nimble lead guitarist who added a lot of colors to the band's palette. The album Drums and Wires followed in 1979 and produced their first UK chart hit, Colin Moulding's Making Plans for Nigel. We're only making plans for Nigel. We only want what's best. The early 80s were the band's commercial peak in the UK, with 1980's Black Sea and 1982's double album English Settlement generating hit singles including Generals and Majors, Sergeant Rock is Going to Help Me, and their only top 10 hit, Senses Working Overtime. Oops. That version's awesome, too. Sorry, guys, I seem to have played the Mandy Moore cover version from the early 2000s, <laughs> but yes, that exists. Here's the XTC version. And all the world I do love that Mandy Moore version. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. She had stuck around. But this newfound success and the stress of the road quickly took their toll on Partridge's mental health, and the band abruptly and permanently ceased touring in 1982. So this is often attributed to Partridge's stage fright, and this is because of a famous incident from this period when he fled the stage mid-song during a concert in Paris. But the more complicated reality of it is that his wife dumped out his industrial-sized tub of Valium, which he'd been taking since he was 13 without really thinking about it. Andy has been very forthcoming about this period in interviews, and the way he describes it is, is that he had no concept of withdrawal, and, quote, I was losing my memory, I was getting bouts of amnesia, I was getting physical problems like pains in my stomach, I was getting weird events like I couldn't move my legs, and my brain came unwound, I started having panic attacks, end quote. And he just couldn't keep going on. Sounds like stage fright. Yeah. And at that point, XTC became a studio band permanently. So the band went on to renewed success and critical acclaim with the 1986 album Skylarking, produced in America by Andy's favorite person, Todd Rundgren, and a series of college rock hits, including Dear God, The Mayor of Simpleton, and The Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead. It was a real shock to the system when XTC quit touring, uh, which is a decision often compared to the Beatles, but the Beatles had money and fame to fall back on. At this point, XTC were on the brink, and there was a weird, murky period where the band was trying to figure out what they wanted to do next, really throwing everything at the wall. 
So they released the very pensive, very commercially unsuccessful album Mummer in 1983, which features Terry Chambers on only two songs, at which point he hoofed it permanently. And then XTC carried on as a trio of Partridge, Molding, and Gregory and released the Big Express in 1984. And that's where this train is bound today. All right. So before we bore the Big Express, if you have any thoughts or feedback about Discord and Rhyme, we're on both Twitter and Instagram at DiscordPod. And you can email us at discordpod at gmail.com, especially if you're Andy Partridge and want to correct us. (laughs) Want to cover our bases. Also, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, it would help us get the word out about this podcast if you left us a rating or, better yet, a review. And with that, we will go into track one. This is called Wake Up. say that about every song on the big express so buckle up (laughs) so we begin our train ride with a colin molding song though it feels like more of a contraption or maybe an apparatus or thingamabob i don't know (laughs) some sort of artificial device where you just have no idea where it came from or what it's for or why it's there we just covered stevie wonder's inner visions Uh, actually john just covered it very well and it's the same situation for me as too high one of the reasons it works is because it comes right out of the gate at you So Wake Up was the third single from the Big Express. Yes, this was a single. Sure, something (laughs) has to be. And it hit number 94 on the UK charts. Really tore up the charts there. And there were only 95 songs over there. (laughs) (laughs) So for a few songs here, I'm also going to play a clip of the demo because XTC demos are readily widely available and often an interesting part of the story. So a lot of Colin Molding demos are more like strange thoughts you have, ideas and fragments in search of a producer and arranger. Uh, and this is definitely the case for Wake Up. You guess you might be dead. You guess you stayed in bed. You guess you wrote the note. You guess you might have spoke. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. So much less menacing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so this album was produced by David Lord, who also produced Peter Gabriel's 1982 self-titled album, or Security. Uh, And the way Andy puts it, he blew this song up, quote, like one of those hot air balloons in the shape of a palace, end quote. So he basically completely created the outro from scratch, uh, fading out on a multi-tracked one-woman choir from local singer Annie Hutchrack. Why? Because it's cool.
it never occurred to me how little that has to do with the rest of the song, but it's great. Yeah, a lot of the effects in the song were just created in the studio. So I want to give a shout out to XTC scholar Mark Fisher, who ran the fanzine Limelight for a long time and now runs both the zine and podcast What Do You Call That Noise, which I highly recommend listening to. Uh, I'm going to be referencing it a few times as we go along because it's very entertaining, a terrific resource, and Fisher and the other hosts have a ridiculous amount of access to all three principal band members. They can just call them up. So I came across an interview where Mark Fisher observes that for XTC, the line between arrangement and song can often be very, very blurry. And I think Wake Up is a really good example because it feels like it's all arrangement, but somehow like this song manages to form from the negative space. So the lyrics are mostly nervous observations about the doldrums of going to a day job. Uh, But I only recently realized what the hell he was saying in the final verse. So I'm just going to quote it. In the road, a crowd had gathered and a man was close to dead. The blood is running down the gutter while you're yawning. Nothing said. His body's wriggling like an eel. They got no sense, no touch, no feel. Somebody better go and get a blanket. That's that's in this song. <laughs> yep, it's the final verse. In the road, a crowd had gathered, and a man was close to dead. The blood is running down the gutter while you're yawning. Nothing said. It apparently comes from a dream Colin had, and, and it turns the song from The Office into, like, Brazil to me. I could see the song playing over a montage in Brazil. So what do y'all think? Okay. Um, I want to start. Uh, I, have a, I have a couple of general uh, principles about this album uh, that I just want to get out of the way before I go into my song-specific observations. So the first thing is that with XCC in general, I tend to divide their their music into broadly two categories. Music that they make when they're a clever band and music that they make when they're a smart band. Hmm. Big Express is interesting because that's kind of, it's probably the best meeting point of these two sides that in many ways, uh, some would get more cleanly delineated uh, in other parts, I consider, for instance, Black Sea to be their first uh, album as a as a smart band, whereas Drums and Wires is still them in their clever band phase, and Skylarking is is firmly in in the smart band phase. Big Express is kind of this weird this weird consolidation of uh, of these two sides that you don't really get elsewhere in their their catalog. Would you call it the meeting place? It could be the meeting place. Do, 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 do. <laughs> now, the second point I want to mention is that the way that I end up treating this album is, in my mind, is I consider the first four songs on here just jaw-droppingly fantastic. And then thereafter, I somewhat uh, tend to just kind of write it out and go, yeah, that's that's an XTC song, and it's a little harder for me to come up with observations. But this one is definitely one of my favorites on the album. Ben, you mentioned the idea that there's there's this part at the end that you know it, it doesn't sound like it belongs to the rest of the song. This is a song where nothing in here sounds like it belongs to the song as any other part. <laughs> like the the guitar chords don't feel like they should be in the the same song as the rhythm section. the The rhythm section doesn't <laughs> feel like it should be in the same song as the keyboards. Uh, the even the the whispers don't feel like they should be in the same song as the rest. You have and you have this great coda. You have this Andy vocal part in the game that for for some reason when I hear it, I, I almost feel like I, I'm listening to a to a piss take on like 
early Chuck Berry deliveries, like in something like you never can tell, just like in the, just kind of oh, like that's, the, that's Colin. Oh, so, sorry from Colin. You're absolutely right. Sorry from when I hear Colin singing this, he's uh, the way that he pieces together the rhythm and his vocal delivery is is fascinating to me. Just and we have this blend between the old and the new here that I find really really neat. This is a classic. Despite the fact that all these different pieces, in theory, shouldn't work, they just kind of ram together and they say, okay, here's the song. And like so many XCC songs, it shouldn't work, and yet it just works. And that's kind of the modus operandi for some of the best material on this album. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I, I like that kind of taking wrong elements and making them work. Even just the the two chopping guitar lines that are kind of in time sort of like it sounds wrong but they kind of will it into being a catchy <laughs> yeah. memorable riff and like rich rich mission is kind of a contraption i kind of picture of this being like a rube goldberg machine that's just barely yes. hanging together and like if the salt is mousetrap perfect <laughs> perfect <laughs> description and, and if like the album ends with a big freight train it kind of starts with this puttering jalopy um, <laughs> And this album in general, I think it was kind of sold to me early on as being kind of like one of their most dated albums, which is kind of what set me up to be disappointed by it. And I was actually pleasantly surprised because it has dated elements, but I think they use them in really interesting ways that serve the songs well. Even like the ending with kind of the like tinky little keyboard, the little descending keyboard line, it sounds good here. And that dramatic ending is just perfect. Again, like it's just... I never, again, I didn't really think about how it doesn't really fit in the rest of the song, but it is, yeah, it's fantastic. It's great. It's just constant left turns. Yeah. Dan pointed out that opening guitar riff. I mean, it's ingenious. It's made from such simple elements, but it's jagged. The The elements interlock and, and the whole effect is disorienting. And it's, it's such a great way to start the album, as Rich pointed out. I believe it's a Rickenbacker in really poor condition, but I'm <laughs> sure. not sure. John was saying that uh, this was Andy singing, and I know it's Colin, but it does sound like Andy for that first second. And I don't know if that's intentional, if Colin was going for that, but it's a cool effect. I like hearing Colin Molding rock out because as much as he was a great rock bassist, always underrated, undervalued when us music nerds are discussing the great bassists, I don't know how much of a rock and roller he really was. I have a theory that later songs like Fruit Nut and Boarded Up and The Smartest Monkeys are where he would have ended up a lot earlier or even started if the other guys in the band hadn't pulled him in a harder direction. I don't know that Colin Molding was ever an angry young man. Getting to that point required decades of working with Andy Partridge. <laughs> Sadly, even that didn't reflect much in his music. Uh, but there's an edge here and it's a good one. Oh, and I wanted to point out the line, clean a sturdy shirt, which uh, it comes from Sunday Morning Coming Down by Chris Christopherson, which is but most famously recorded by Johnny Cash. Then I fumbled in my closet, threw my clothes and found my cleanest dirty shirt. All right, I think we're done here. Let's move on to track two. This is called All You Pretty Girls. Who invents this? I mean, this is just so original and, and amazing. This is an entire album of who writes this? <laughs> oh, 
And here we meet Andy Partridge, our chief engineer on the Big Express and 95% of the XTC experience. So All You Pretty Girls was the first single from the Big Express and hit a whopping number 55 in the UK, which was the highest placing from the Big Express. This was a big hit (laughs) album, guys. Uh, So... Right up front here, we have one of Andy's favorite songwriting tricks, which is to take a song's bridge and repurpose it as the intro. Uh, He does this all the time when you realize that he does it uh, on songs as far ranging as Church of Women, Easter Theater, The Disappointed, Across This Ant Heap, Green Man, and probably most memorably Respectable Street, where he takes the bridge and turns it into a little like Noel Coward style intro with a piano. Andy says that it's a trick from Sir George Martin, and indeed, once he said that, I realized that's kind of the key that unlocks I Want to Hold Your Hand and I Am the Walrus, which are two songs I didn't realize had anything in common. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty cool. Fun with music. So Andy can be a brainy lyricist, but All You Pretty Girls is just a seafaring song about the ladies, uh, albeit one with the word keyside, and that's spelled Q-U-A-Y side. And that's surprising to us Americans, at least. I'm sorry to our British listeners. Uh, Anyway, that's Dave Gregory playing our favorite instrument, the Mellotron, in the intro. Yep. Producing that manly chest beating choir. Uh, And they gave it like this uncanny metallic sound bite. So what they did was they placed a speaker at the bottom of a fire bucket, put a toilet roll holder over over the microphone and then lowered that into the bucket to record the Mellotron playback. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Uh, They just wanted to make sounds that like you couldn't hear anywhere else, which I respect a lot. And also, this keyside shanty is filled with gigantic, slamming electronic drums, courtesy of Andy Partridge's new toy, the Lindrum. Producer, or conductor Mike, can you tell us a bit about the Lindrum? The Lindrum, named for its inventor, Roger Lynn, was a drum machine introduced in 1982 and produced until 1985. Like other drum machines of the time, such as Roland's iconic 808 and 909, The Lindrum contained a sequencer for programming rhythm patterns. But while those other drum machines generated their drum sounds electronically, the Lindrum sounds came from 8-bit samples of actual drums being hit by session drummer Art Wood. This was not the first drum machine to do so. The first was the LM-1, Lind's precursor to the Lindrum. But the Lindrum had several advantages, not the least of which was that it cost about $2,000 less. While only 5,000 Lindrum units were sold, it can be heard on some of the most memorable music of the 1980s, including Tears for Fears' Songs from the Big Chair, Peter Gabriel's Security and So, Prince's albums with The Revolution, and The Other Side of Life by the Moody Blues. Thanks, Mike. All right. The thing I really like about the decision to uh, stick the bridge into the intro is it gives a link in mood and sound to the first track that this one wouldn't otherwise have. The for a long time, the the first couple, the first few times that I, I listened to this album, my brain would almost instinctually parse the the uh, the intro to this song as almost as almost feeling like. Uh, a final outro portion of of wake up <laughs> just just the, in terms of the kind of the foam match they were just before it just slams into into the main pop song and whereas if they had started with the the first verse it would have been a much more abrupt show so i really like that that trick in terms of album construction just with the song itself i mean that verse should not be that memorable 
<laughs> it should not work. And, and it feels like, where is it going? It's just like, oh, it got to the perfect spot. And it didn't even really take that long to get there. You just, you don't see where Annie's going, how Annie's going to make this work until like right before he gets there. It's like watching somebody, I don't know. It's like when you're solving a Rubik's cube and like three moves before and it still like looks like it's all just mashed up. And next thing you know, like the entire thing is solved. That happens every time I solve a Rubik's cube. So by verse, you mean like I think about your pale arms waving those parts? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. He, he takes a very roundabout route to get back to the chorus sometimes, <laughs> and it's great. Yeah. Yeah, like the, the, the verse, yeah, the verse is, it takes a long way. And then, yeah, and then with the chorus, it's a similar idea. Like even the chorus feels like it's just kind of, when I listen to it, it's like, okay, I feel like this is in the shape of a chorus. It, is, this, is this really a chorus? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, this is perfect. This this is absolutely what it needs to be. So yeah, I love this song. Like this is this is just a great example for me of what XTC can be at at its very best. Dave Gregory, and I'm sure Rich is going to talk about him. He's so easy to take for granted because he doesn't sing or write songs, but he's there in every interesting arrangement the band comes up with. I'm glad Rich mm-hmm. pointed that one out. What an intro to this song. So I guess that's the bridge. I never caught that that's the bridge, but it's just majestic. And I love when they circle back to it later with even more gusto and more harmony vocals. song is fantastic though it's catchy and engrossing i like that this is a mix of a few things you have the industrial beat that's so pervasive on this album you have that smart idiosyncratic approach that was the band's trademark and the indelible pop hooks that partridge couldn't help writing to me this is one of andy partridge's peaks um it's sublime not the band this is good Oh, and you mentioned Dave Gregory. I don't have any like time formally set aside to talk about how great he is, but th- this is a good opportunity. So one thing about him is uh, he-, he is a really, really important part of the band in like a utility sense, but also in the um. So Andy and Colin don't have never had any formal music training. Like they're really good at what they do. But Dave Gregory is the guy who actually knows how to chart music and arrange music. And for example, like he did the entire string arrangement for 1000 Umbrellas from Skylarking um, and and Dear God. And he came up with that arpeggiated guitar guitar in dear god and just a lot of the cool little like effects that build up into what becomes xtc are due to dave gregory so thanks for mentioning him he's awesome yeah dan what about you so this is basically a sea shanty right yeah yeah that's what i hear it as i mean because it's kind of funny because to me it sort of sounds like a tricked out version of a decemberist song (laughs) never thought of that but yeah yeah um but yeah it's just super infectious and i really like just the Again, just the odd production touches of the really clicky percussion that's going on. And even that, that keyboard tone that's, again, kind of dated, it it really works here. It works as a, as a sea shanty. Decemberist, you're right. They would use a word like keyside. Yeah. And my way into knowing the pronunciation is Torquay from Faulty Towers, which is spelled with a Q-A-Y-E as well. Or Q-A-Y. Oh, is that where it's set? Yeah, Torquay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I okay. it was in Quadrophenia too, but I'm not seeing it on it Google. It might be, yeah. So We know British culture really well, guys. <laughs> <laughs> More than our own. All right, if we have nothing else here, let's move on to a song that 
everybody always likes. <laughs> this is called Shake You Donkey Up. <laughs> in how you rank this among the four best songs on the album. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I used to think nobody but me liked this song, but I've been reading retrospectives and interviews, and everyone either loves it now or loved it all along. Either way, I love Shake You Donkey Up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it felt so good to say that. So one thing I realized revisiting early XTC for this episode, like uh, white music and go-to. Uh, so subjecting myself to Captain Beefheart's Trout Mask replica last year for like a full week straight for this podcast, it really <laughs> steeled my defenses against abrasive music. It, it like carved out a new algorithm in my brain. Uh, so like Crosswires from white music, it sounds like a big hit single to me now. <laughs> so uh, Captain Beefheart was a huge influence on the band and especially Andy Partridge. And with this song, Shake You Donkey Up, he was trying to evoke a song like, say, Sure Enough and Yes I Do from Safe as Milk. This but more donkeys <laughs> being shaken up. So Mike talked about the Lindrum on the last song, but there was also an actual human drummer on this album, Pete Phipps, who, who also filled in on Mummer after Terry Chambers left. Uh, so the drumming on Shake You Donkey Up is actually all him, but once again, they had to make it weirder than that. So the band gaffer taped a bunch of pieces of metal to his drum kit, like a biscuit tin, a piece of corrugated paper, a tape spool, and a tall industrial ashtray. So the performance you hear on this song is a composite of a traditional drum track and overdubs with this DIY drum kit. <laughs> I love it. Uh, anyway, so I have a bunch to say about the next two songs, so I'm going to go easy on Shake You Donkey Up. It's definitely the most creative way to say kick your ass I've ever heard, or, or I guess <laughs> kick you ass. <laughs> yeah, this this song kicks me ass. <laughs> One of the things I, I, I love about Andy Partridge in general is that he, when he takes lead vocals on a song, he basically basically says, yeah, I'm going to sing like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> and this is one of the best examples. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to sing like this. It's going to sound completely insane. It's going to at first sound like somebody who's never actually heard a pop album before in their life. I'm going to to somehow merge new wave stylistics with uh with country western guitars i'm going to make this work 
And somehow he does. Every time I hear it, I want to just turn up the volume. I want to blast it loud. I want to fill the house with this sound. And and if I could make someone irritated along the way, like all the better. <laughs> and the thing is, like, this is the type of song where I feel like it would just be so easy to hate it. I feel like that's the that it's it's begging, begging its listener to say, like, yeah, you 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 want to give in, you want to hate me, you just want to throw me <laughs> to the bottom, don't <laughs> you? But it's just like it's too easy to do that. There's just so much interesting going on. And the thing is, like, I don't always appreciate uh, XTC's music that takes this general uh, in-your-face approach all that much. You know, I, I mentioned again that, you know, there's a lot of their music that I, I slot into the into the clever band category, and I don't always necessarily like that as much as, as many people do. But for me, this is one of the better examples of them making music in that category. Um, I would never, ever want to hear a version of The Big Express without Shank Yudaki up on it. Nice. Uh, Dan, what about you? You know, I'm actually more have a higher tolerance of the more abrasive XTC, I think, than you do. And this is one that if I'm not in the right mood for it, it can get on my nerves. And I'm the <laughs> beef heart guy. <laughs> I think it's more interesting than it is actually musically enjoyable to me. But it does have a lot of cool ideas going on. You don't get to hear XTC kind of do a twangy rockabilly guitar riff very often. Uh, so hearing them take a stab at that's kind of cool. Uh, Andy, he gets a bit over the top here. Uh, <laughs> I actually a like his, those little falsetto bends he does before the chorus, but when he gets into the like just the growling stuff, it, it's <laughs> I, again if I'm in a good mood, I can tolerate it. But so, so I want to uh, say that uh, Andy is one of my favorite vocalists, but it took a while to get there. He's an acquired taste, <laughs> and and he make and he he's deliberate about that. Yeah, it's funny. I was I was just listening to the remix of Drums and Wires the other day, and I hadn't heard the album in a while, and I'd forgotten. Like, yeah, he he does a lot of vocal contortions that I, I think it <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'd forgotten how abrasive he can be. But uh, I, you know, again, like I run kind of hot and cold with this one. On a good day, I like it. No, he, he does have a tendency to make things complicated, complicated, complicated. <laughs> Why did he have to go and make things so complicated? <laughs> uh so ben this is right up your alley right um <laughs> john i really liked your description of it and i'm glad you love it uh they kind of lose me, me here it's still got a classic song structure but there's not much melody the chorus is what i call an elvis costello half chorus where <laughs> <laughs> this is an elvis costello song he just repeats a brief phrase with a lot of fervor night rally night rally sorry rich <laughs> Uh, so this isn't among my favorite XTC songs. The arrangement has everything in the kitchen sink, but this time they left in all the dirty dishes. <laughs> well, I don't care what you say, Ben. This song shakes donkeys. <laughs> right. Shakes them right up. I guess I can't dispute that. <laughs> all right, let's move on uh, to another banner. This one's called Seagull Screaming Kisser Kisser. Hell yeah. Banger. Rich, that's your word. This is the original banger. <laughs> so
What's being played here? Is that a trombone? A euphonium. So oh. that is, yeah, that is that is Steve Saunders there on euphonium, which it sounds like a tuba, but it's not. Yeah. It turns out there are a whole bunch of different types of brass instruments. So I love the menacing effect it creates, though, when the solo intersects with the main hook right there. It's like a dark cloud kind of casting over it. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's like the dark cloud is playing the euphonium and comes and like <laughs> swoops down. Uh, so in case you can't tell, I love this song. So back in my episode on the B-52s, which Ben tried his best to ruin. Yep. No, just, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. I, I talked about Give Me Back My Man, a, a song where a desperate Cindy Wilson pleads to seagulls to somehow bring back her drowned lover. Well... Seagull screaming kisser kisser is the exact opposite. In this case, the object of the narrator's affection is right there, next to him, alive. And the seagulls are the ones screaming at him, kisser kisser! <laughs> this is probably my favorite XTC song. Or rather, my heart's favorite song is The Mayor of Simpleton from Oranges and Lemons. Uh, but this is my brain's favorite, the one that exists entirely in a genre of its own called Andy Partridge. <laughs> like this song is basically the world through the eyes of an anxious person where the most mundane situations get blown up into a distorted colorless nightmare where all you want to do is run. Where did Rich go? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the most wonderful impressionistic song. Uh, so from interviews, Andy Partridge strikes me as the kind of person who makes up little music videos or vignettes for songs in his head. Uh, but then he composes the music to match that. Uh, like, I love the line, the sea is warship gray. It whispers, fool, then slides away. Like, it's such a memorable onomatopoeic image, and it instantly puts, like, a very, very vivid picture in my mind. And we also have the album's second and final use of a Mellotron, uh, with Dave Gregory playing the main riff. That, that's a Mellotron. That's, like, the dinkiest, ugliest use of a Mellotron I've ever heard, and I love it. <laughs> And finally, I'm going to play a clip of the demo for this song because it's very illustrative of Andy's working process. So, uh, like I said, Colin's songs generally needed a little bit of extra sculpting in the studio. But with Andy, uh, the basic idea and often most of the instrumentation is already in place, like ready to be polished in the studio. The sea is warship gray. It whispers fool and slides away. Black coastline slumbers on while seagulls screaming, kiss her, kiss her, and all the flags that flap on. Yeah, just put a coat of wax on it. Oh, I love this one so much. You, you know what it reminds me of? It feels to me like an old LucasArts game, like made <laughs> into a song. I don't mean like the music to an old LucasArts game. I mean like the 8-bit graphics if they turned into a song. And like I, I imagine like being at a at like a, a seaside or beach scene and and the Mellotron chords are the the sounds of the uh, of the seagulls in the background, but every so often uh one of them just coalesces into you thinking you heard them say kisser, kisser, and you're not really sure. Did that really just happen? And then it just goes <laughs> back to bam, 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 bam with and and like the euphonium sound like sounding like a ship on the horizon. Just like as it's as it's going through, everything is is gray and and not quite clear, and it doesn't. It seems like reality, but you can't quite piece it all together in a coherent way. Oh, it's so good, and it's just this sound of madness that you said it's the sound of anxiety, and I think that's and I think that's the right way to think about it. It's 
oh i this yeah again when i when i listen to the big express what i'll often do is i'll just go back and and blast through these first four songs like right after i do it just to and just to get it back in my i had and leave off with a really really good taste and yeah i i love coming to this song repeatedly I'm going to be so sad when Euphoric John disappears after this song because I've enjoyed your enthusiasm for all these. Yeah. Well, I love every XTC song. No, that's not true. So, Ben, what about you? Yeah, this one works better for me than Shake You Donkey Up. Uh, It has elements that are abrasive and off-putting, but it's also got more of a pop sheen to it, and I really like that. It's easy to focus on Andy Partridge, and I do that a lot because XTC is his band and it's mostly pursuing his vision. But I want to point out Colin Molding is so great on bass here and on the whole album. His bass lines are thumping and complex and authoritative, and they ground the arrangements whenever the synths and pounding electronic drums threaten to swirl off into chaos. And now I'm I'm predictably circling back to Andy Partridge. He's a fascinating character. He's got this contradiction where he's incredibly literate, and this is a great example of that. And he's a curmudgeonly 80-year-old in his 20s in a rock band, and yet he's so horny. And that claws its (laughs) way into his songwriting throughout his career. And he's unapologetic about it, and I like it. it. It deflates some of the seriousness that might come up. Last thing, I like that this song is about the sea, too, because it gives it the tiniest thematic link with all you pretty girls. And it sort of binds parts of the album together for me, whether that was intended or not. This is the sea shanty album now. It's a weird juxtaposition, though, of like the sea settings and like these kind of industrial like the Mellotron sounds like these industrial pistons kind of just pulsing Mm -hmm. through the song. Uh, But yeah, this is this is great. I don't know if I had a whole whole lot more to add to it, but. That Mellotron, I mean, was there a lot of Mellotron use going on in the 80s? I think that they had like an old busted up one. Like, uh, I mean, this is the point where like, uh, I I don't know this for a fact, but I believe that like most Mellotrons that you could get had seen like a fair amount of use and wear and tear and with how how hard they are to maintain. And I feel like you could hear that it's been well loved. Yeah. (laughs) Gives it more texture. All right. I think we're done here. Uh, Let's move on. This next song is called this world over.
So I was all set to say, this is a touching, if somewhat overwrought song about the nuclear arms race that sounds like the police. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. 2020 happened, and it was this (laughs) world over. And oh well, next one begin. (laughs) I've always loved this song, uh, but when I first listened to it as a teenager, the subject matter felt like really moving. Uh, I really, really liked it, but uh, it also felt kind of over and done with. Like, well, (laughs) good thing they fixed that. (laughs) <laughs> listening to it today where we like unironically speak of quote the before times and our, we're watching our relationship with one another and the outside world just change before our eyes it it, it kind of guts me to be honest like to me this is an example of art aging into something more profound than the author ever intended and that sort of thing is where i personally find beauty so this is a touching of somewhat overwrought song about the nuclear arms race that sounds like the police who they toured with, by the way, uh, back in their own before times. Uh, Though, honestly, it doesn't really trace to any particular police song for me. So I mostly chalk it up to like the Andy Summers like rhythm guitar and uh, Andy Partridge putting in his best sting impression. I can hear the drums, too. Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's very broadly a police song. I think it's police influenced. But um, anyway, so my favorite thing musically about this world over is the dynamic range, because uh, like they really give the song room to breathe and time to build. And it really pays off. So the song starts off at close to a whisper and then gradually increases in volume for the first two thirds of its running time. And then eventually hitting a gigantic crescendo, which always gives me the eerie image of like the moment the bombs hit, you know, like Terminator 2. this song more than i used to but i'm still in the situation where i end up feeling kind of dumb for the fact that i like shake you donkey up so much more than this. <laughs> it, no i think it's awesome that like you say you love four songs on the album and one of them is shake you donkey up and not this that is <laughs> yeah that is so endearing to me john it's a song where okay i i pay attention to the lyrics like oh this is touching and oh this is the and I don't necessarily mind it when when Andy gets sincere. Like one of my one of my favorite songs, for instance, from English Settlement is is all of a sudden, and that's him like being very very open about things. But for some reason, this one doesn't do it for me as much as I feel like it could. You know, you you mentioned the the police comparison. I the the one that I actually think that it comes closest to, just in general mood, is something like Tea in the Sahara. Mm. Oh, that didn't even occur to me, but you're right, yeah. My sisters and I have one wish before we die And it may sound strange As if our minds are deranged Where it gets closest to just falling into the edge of solo stain and I'm not entirely sure that um, that brand of the police and this type of Celestine was necessarily the best corner for XTC to try and be claiming for their own. Uh, again, beyond that, I've never really been able to piece together exactly why it, it, it doesn't do a lot for me, but I get a little bit sleepy in it. It, it. 
if if there's a song on here that I find boring, this might be the one. Even though, I, again, if I force myself to listen to it carefully, it's like, oh, this is really nice and this is really, really well thought through. And yet I, w- when it uh, gets to the end and things are starting to fade out, I feel like I should be having a moment of catharsis and instead like I, my mind just kind of drifts away. And maybe that's what it's supposed to do in a certain extent, but yeah, it's, it's a song that I wish I liked more than I do. It feels like the holding up your lighter moment at the concert. If that were ever a situation that would happen. (laughs) That's the thing though. Like, I don't feel like that sort of, of moment would feel right. Yeah, you're right. In this song about nuclear war. (laughs) Uh, Ben, what about you? Thankfully, the Russians loved their children too, back in the eighties. Although now the United States has a leader who very obviously doesn't. Uh, I'm a little worried about where things go from here. This is, this song has a gorgeous arrangement um, it's rare that synthesizers and electronic drums work as well as they do here, at least from my perspective. I can't tell whether Colin Molding is playing a fretless bass, but he's got a really cool spacey tone going there. I um, believe he plays, uh, he definitely plays fretless bass later on the album, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's if he is here, but I, I don't really have a good ear for that. Okay, thanks. I mean, that, that helps to know. The, the message of the song is deep and sobering, but just one quibble. Partridge implies that uh, gaining a third arm as a result of radiation is something you wouldn't want. But in a post-apocalyptic world where you're getting into fights all the time, it could be useful. Unless the guy trying to steal your shopping cart full of food and your worldly possessions has four arms, and then you're probably up a creek. That took a turn. 28 days after this world was over. (laughs) You know, knowing my own taste, I'm actually surprised that I prefer this song over Shake You Donkey Up. Because that <laughs> How dare be, you? Yeah. I actually understand, John, why you would find this underwhelming, because it is the least distinctly XTC song in the album, probably. And I've always liked this one, but and I never noticed or thought about the similarity to Sting, but it's definitely there, and admittedly, it makes me kind of question my enjoyment of the song a bit. But, uh... I like this one. It's Andy's message songs usually aren't very subtle. Get down, kitty cat. Uh, we have a visit from Dan's cat. <laughs> oh, oh, he's stubborn too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to pledge fealty to our cat overlords now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, Andy's message songs usually aren't very subtle, and this one is no exception. Uh, yeah, in particular, I zeroed in on the uh, the line about drawing off your child's third limb, uh, which is mm-hmm. I'd never noticed that until this time listening to the album. But uh, I don't know. I kind of enjoy this sort of mellow ending for the the first side of the album. I think it works well, uh, which again I'm surprised by because I think that it's a bit more vanilla for XTC, but eh, it works for me. All right. I think we're done here. Let's move on to side two. The next song is called The Everyday Story of Small Town. Are those kazoos? Those are kazoos. Yeah. More songs could use kazoos.
he's just like, sure, this is a verse melody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why not? So this is a great book from 2016 by Todd Bernhardt called Complicated Game Inside the Songs of XTC, where Bernhardt interviews Andy Partridge in depth about 30 XTC songs, one of which is the everyday story of a small town. I bring this up because before the interviews, there's a chapter called Swindon, A Perambulation by John Morrish. Uh, which is basically a walking tour and memory palace of XTC's hometown. Uh, and it's a fun read and fitting because Swindon is a pretty major character in the band's music. More than any other album, The Big Express is kind of Swindon the concept album. Uh, so when Andy was a lad, Swindon was a company town for the Great Western Railway and something like two out of every three people in town were employed by them. They called it like the Walmart of Swindon or, you know, in retrospect. So to the extent that The Big Express is a concept album, it's one about, it's about the Swindon Railway Works, which closed in 1986. And uh, Every Day's Story of a Small Town is kind of the album's centerpiece in that regard, like uh, the detailed diorama where Andy personally hand carves every character in Swindon. It plays out like a musical with people waking up, throwing their doors open, greeting the milkman, and cycling to work in a long metal snake before lining up like poplars at their factory jobs. There's even a verse that's sung by the town, like the houses turned into, into cartoons with window <laughs> eyes and doorway mouths. Yeah, see, this is the town singing. It's like waiting for Guffman. Mm. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that Andy is the kind of person who writes songs while imagining music videos for them that are too expensive to stage. And uh, this is a literal example. So Andy, he envisioned this song as a march through Swindon where more and more townspeople join him as the song goes on. <laughs> there are even brass samples lent by Tears for Fears uh, in the song. That's not a real horn section. They couldn't afford it. Uh, and they also have like a sample of children screaming and yelling in playgrounds to like give the impression that this human mass has assembled in the streets behind behind Andy. How did they get those samples without just creeping people the hell out? I'm sure it's on chalkhills.org. Look it up. <laughs> but what do you guys think? Uh, I like this song as an as a side opener. Uh, I like the idea that the the first side would end with this slow, majestic fade after the anthemic song about uh, nuclear annihilation, and the second <laughs> side opens up with the kazoos. <laughs> it's it, it's it's a really fun effect. The song itself, I like, but I'm never sure why. It took a long time before I ever actually got around to really reading the. The lyrics for this i promise it was more recent than just preparing for this episode but like they never really they never really stood out to me that much and just like oh okay there's stuff about uh people going to work and oh there's multiple verses that uh reference to sex in some way in very tweaked ways okay that's fine and it just keeps going and going and it never really sticks with me that much it's just kind of a nice uh bit of background noise for me in the context of the album and I don't again, I don't dislike it, but 
it's definitely uh, the part of a of a general step down for me. Um, and how I feel about the rest of this album. Yeah, it feels a tad slight. In particular, it sounds kind of like it could be on the Black Sea. Like, it sounds like a Black Sea uh, leftover, possibly. Hmm. But I really do like the uh, that marching chorus. It's really kind of catchy. Uh, but I kind of see what you're saying. It's I, I, I like it, uh, but it doesn't really stick with me too much. It's funny. I've never heard of Swindon outside the context of XTC. I'd almost think they made it up as a setting for their songs. Sadly, there's no way to verify whether or not that's true. As for the song, it's overproduced, but to me, it's so likable that it doesn't bother me. The chorus is just perfect pop. The verses, as Rich pointed out, that they're barely anything. Um, and it, it's rare that that Andy just pisses that kind of thing away like that. But the chorus does make up for it. You still have some jagged edges like the guitar riffs, but they fit better into the arrangement for me. They're not the focus of the song. Yeah, the arrangement is cluttered. Everything is right up at the front of the mix and it's fighting for your attention. That can work in rare occasions. Like it was a, a trick that the producer Joe Meek used to use where just everything is at the same level um, and it can make a song punchy and impossible to ignore, but it can also make it sound kind of cluttered. Uh, but keeping all that in mind, it's still so much fun. And I find myself getting caught up in it pretty quickly. Oh, and there's also a lot of kinks influence here. Uh, the one thing yes. to remember is that uh, the Village Green Preservation Society and the like hadn't become cool yet by 1984. And uh, nobody listened to it. Andy hadn't hadn't actually heard it. But he specifically said that the influence for this song was Autumn Almanac, which was a big hit in the UK yeah. when he was a teen. I can hear that. Yeah. Great song. Dave Davies is like, can I play? Can I play? Come on, wait, 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 wait. And then he just lets out that <laughs> little riff and then has to go quiet again. Autumn Almanac gets in my head a lot more than <laughs> the everyday story of a small town does, though. I think we're done here. Uh, let's move on. The next song is called I Bought Myself the Liarbird. I bought myself the Liarbird. is a ground-dwelling Australian bird noted for its ability to mimic natural and artificial sounds from its environment. The lyrebird, spelled L-I-A-R, is XTC's former manager Ian Reid, noted for his ability to screw the band out of large portions of their earnings. 
<laughs> so there's a lot of info out there about every XTC song, but less so for this one, because for a while the band was under a legal gag order not to comment on it. <laughs> there's even a blank entry for the song in Neville Farmer's 1998 book Song Stories, which Ben kindly sent me for this episode. Thanks, Ben. Welcome. So remember when I said this period was a commercial slump for the band and they turned things around later on? Well, they didn't get to enjoy most of that money because it was all invested in litigation against their manager before settling in 1989. Uh, I'm not sure if XTC were ever actually a profitable venture. So other than the juicy backstory, I've never really felt very strongly about this song. Uh, the demo version is much more straightforward. Just Andy, guitar, a drum machine, and some harmonies. Me think world is for you, made of what you like the kitchen sink ethos on the big express this song is a case where i kind of wish they'd resisted the urge to like pile a bunch of crap on top just because <laughs> they could i like this one and i didn't expect that rich wouldn't um i like it i i, I like the only song i dislike on the album is the next song spoiler <laughs> i can't imagine why yeah this one is an extended metaphor lovingly worked to death a la smoky robinson but in a bitter direction that smoky would never go in and the liar bird gets captured by the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great metaphor. It's it's impressively cutting. I, I wouldn't want to be their manager. The chorus is a little grating, but it fits with the metaphor. So that doesn't bother me. And I like picturing, you know, intellectual, quirky Andy Partridge coming up with such a dirty guitar line uh, that, that turns into the melody. And you also have the gentle melodic bridges that contrast with that. It's still a little abrasive, uh, but less so than the rest of the album. I, I think they get it just right. Yeah, this one kind of sounds a bit like a goofied up McCartney song. And it might oh. just be because it's got bird in the title and I want to throw yeah. it on the same pile as Blackbird and Bluebird. <laughs> yeah, this is I mean, it, it, I think it's kind of slight by design, but I enjoy it. Uh, it's got the right amount of quirkiness and I'm always up for just a bitter music biz diss track. Uh, they're fun. Yeah, I like this one, too. Um I like the idea. Like, so when when he when he sings the "I can make you famous," like I my mind always instinctually transforms it into actually hearing a book like "I can make you famous." <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I love like the the music industry BS as like squawks from a liar bird. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Rock, just like a household name. <laughs> Rock, um, my name's Joe. I'm the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> a reference to the best Tom Petty song. Uh, most oh. definitely. I also. Like the little uh, detail of when when he gets alive, you can read it in your Bible. Like amping up just the little bit of anger and intensity in the in the drum track in a way that's mm -hmm. you know that's completely predictable to even though it's completely predictable of of something that Andy would do backing that particular line. Like the predictability of it actually makes me smile a little bit. Um, so I enjoy it. Again, it's it's not a great song, um, but of the ones on the second side. This is one that I would be willing to come back to and just listen to by itself from time to time. All right. Let's uh, move on if we don't have anything else. Uh, this next track, Rich's favorite of the album, clearly, <laughs> uh, is called Rain of Blows, open parenthesis, vote no to violence, exclamation point, close parenthesis. <laughs> she wakes up in the evening. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going to say you, you ruined this song for me now, but it was already there. This is the one duffer on the Big Express for me. So XTC albums tend to suffer from muddy production and mixing. And it's only been recently when uh, Stephen Wilson of Porcupine Tree has taken on the labor of love of remixing as many of them as he can from the original master tapes. And uh, he's done six of them so far. And we'll probably be recommending them at the bottom of the episode because his mixes, they really bring out all the little pieces that make up XTC's music. And that's a really important part of them. Uh, So he still hasn't gotten around to the Big Express. But when he does, maybe I'll be able to make out what the hell is going on in Reign of Blows. (laughs) So this is Angry Political Andy. And Angry Political Andy has gotten into trouble online before, including on Twitter and the Daily Telegraph, where he, uh, I believe, where he was banned from the comment section at least four times under different (laughs) names. Uh, So Andy has deleted his online presence, so I won't repeat any of his comments for the sake of his privacy. But uh, in his lyrics, he has he has a very blunt, proudly left wing sense of satire. So once you can make out what he's saying in the song, you get an anti-war observation like decked out in blue, white and red and Iron Maidens will slam. And by the half light of burning republics, Joe Stalin looks just like Uncle Sam. And that's just kind of part of the XTC experience and also part of what made songs like Dear God so provocative. But uh, anyway, this song sucks. What say you all? <laughs> this is my favorite song of the second half. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's great. No, here's the, here's the thing. Like the the, the, the lyrics are whatever. I, 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 I read them. But again, this is another one where it was a long time before I actually read the lyrics. And by the time I actually did, the, the song had been cemented for me as one that I really enjoy. Um, wh- one of the things that really makes it work for me is is the harmonica. It's so chaotic, but I don't feel like the the song would have the same effect on me. It's it's one more angry piece of, of sound that for, for me just kind of highlights and makes the rest of it work. It's like adding just the right spice to a dish that that would otherwise be lacking for flavor. I also like the the, the distorted vocal effect, and what it ends up kind of sounding to me is it's like tanky ween. Every band is ween. Every band is ween, and some if if, if they want to be like just in terms of of the sound that he gets um, through the distortion, it it's it's like evil political Buckingham green or something just again, mm. just in the, in terms of the vocal delivery. Now, yes, the song is, is, a as a cacophonous mess, but, and like this, this is a, an instance where the cacophonous mess kind of works for me. This is pretty Brown for XTC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've turned me around. This is a ween song, so it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one's kind of a mess. Um, I do like elements of it. However, the harmonica I find particularly obnoxious. Uh, well, 
Yeah, it's I actually do like like the vocal effects, but it is sort of like just a bunch of stuff, I think, in search of a song. I, I don't flat out dislike it, but it's probably the weakest one for me on the album. All right, Ben, what about you? Same. Uh, Partridge is, is throwing down the gauntlet here. He's like daring us to enjoy this song. Um, and that's a gutsy move. He's making us dig deep and listen a lot and maybe pick out moments of beauty from the muck. But it turns out that it's just muck. Um, if there's any beauty here, I have not heard it yet. So we can say vote no to violence. Vote yes to Boognish. <laughs> I love my crappy song. All right. Well, if we're done with that one, uh, let's move on. This next track is called You're the Wish You Are I Had. but he's really throwing away the verse melodies on this album. Yeah. It's like, this one doesn't need it. Chorus is good. Oh, I, I, I disagree here. Mm. First, we got to address the grammar here because that title makes me pull out my trusty red pen. Uh, so you need to add a couple M dashes around you are. So he's excitedly saying, you're the wish you are. I had. Uh, it's similar to how the impression that I get by the Mighty Mighty Boss Stones is correctly parsed as I've never had to knock on wood. But I know oh. someone who has. Oh my god, I never. Is that what that is? It's a song about <laughs> apathy. Anyway, shake you donkey up is perfect grammar, and I have no issues with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you noticed this, but Andy Partridge doesn't write the same songs that other people write. <laughs> so I, I recommend listening to an interview where he pulls out his guitar uh, because uh, he'll, he'll take standard chords and then just kind of mangle them into chords that don't sound quite right. And that's what he'll use as the basis for the song. He doesn't even know what the names of the chords are. Uh, so Ben sent me an interview on the from the Soda Jerker on songwriting podcast where, where he does this with senses working overtime. Uh, and he just recently broke down this song on the aforementioned What Do You Call That Noise podcast. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So everything in the verses of You're the Wish You Are I Had is backwards. Uh, so oh. it, as Neville Farmer puts it in the song stories book, it's, quote, a typically XTC upside down cake arrangement. Pete Phipps plays a hi-hat pattern on the snare on all eight beats and the bass is up in the front playing a counter melody. It, it's like twisted mirror McCartney until this massive chord change comes along and then turns it into normal happy McCartney. I like it. <laughs> I kind of wish that the verse had also been normal happy McCartney like, <laughs> I, I feel like the verse is overthought I, I I feel like there's too many twists to mangle it up uh for it to quite work with me again chorus is really really nice but yeah this this one as a whole somewhat passes me by I, I mean I, I like the idea of it but uh, it's it's not one of my favorites on the album Ben what about you I like it a lot. Uh, I always file this one uh, with Small Town. Uh, it's great pop music, overproduced. It can take several listens to figure out what's going on and for it to take on a coherent form. 
Uh, my extended metaphor here is uh, the World War II miniseries Band of Brothers, which I love more than almost any other entertainment. But it took several viewings for that to happen. The first time I watched it, it was so sprawling. There were so many characters, so many locations. It was just bewildering and hard to connect with. But with each viewing, it made more sense. I could pick out individual characters and plot lines and follow them through. Anyway, this song and this album are a lot like that for me. Really rewarding, but you might have to absorb it a few times before it becomes something that makes sense to you and that you'll want to come back to. But keep at it because you will. I'll give it another listen. Maybe it'll hit me eventually. <laughs> uh, Dan? Yeah, I really like those verses. The The, the bass line <laughs> is really, really cool. Uh, I just realized the chorus to me sounds like it predicts Ben Folds. By about oh, a decade yeah. and a half. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can actually picture Ben Folds doing the verses too, honestly. Which I guess means it sounds like Joe Jackson too. Just by default, Ben Folds. <laughs> but yeah, this is probably the most satisfying, just straight up pop chorus, I think, on the album. Uh, it's, yeah, so I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought there. The song does that. Let's move on to the penultimate track. This one is called I Remember the Sun. what won it what's that that's one for our british listeners one of the most famous british headlines of all time uh anyway so i used to love this song uh but i think that it was just xtc priming me for liking steely dan (laughs) Uh, so this is the second and final colin molding song on the album and it's his tribute to the dumps which were these muddy escarpments at the edge of uh penn hill estate where colin and any grew up and colin and his childhood mates would off would just go out there and dig fake war trenches there so uh, his mom would only let him go out when it wasn't raining. So he associates all of this with the sun being out. Uh, accordingly, the song has like this warm, nostalgic sepia glow. But uh, Andy throws in like these some little guitar scribbles to make sure that it's a scratchy memory, which I like. Um, so I'm with John in general and that the Big Express is through with its best songwriting after side one ends. But uh, one thing with XTC is that you rarely get enough chances to hear Colin Molding. Uh, he just gets drowned out by Andy Partridge, like just uh, constantly. And most of his songs get a little boost for me just because he offers a different color from Andy's songwriting style. And as said before, he's also a really great bassist. And uh, if you look on the chalkhills.org website, uh, there's a complete fretless bass transcription of this song. His bass part here is great, and you can only kind of hear him on this mix, which is yet another reason I hope Stephen Wilson ends up doing his thing with this album, because uh, I think this song might end up being a revelation, along with a lot of the other songs here. 
And in case you wanted Andy's opinion on the sun, here's what he told Contrast Magazine in 1990 about recording in Los Angeles for the Oranges and Lemons album. Quote, I hate the sunshine. Of course he does. <laughs> All of that constant sunshine drives me up the wall. I like mysterious weather. I think it rained one day and it was so wonderful. Fog, I like. Fog is a good one. Drizzle, it never drizzles in LA. I don't like the sun. End quote. British Old people. man yells at sun. <laughs> <laughs> I played enough Mario 3 to hate the sun. Yeah. I don't dislike it, but I'll I'll say this. If somebody, you know, for whatever reason, kidnapped me and put a gun to my head and said they would off me, if I couldn't find a way to describe this song that, that didn't use the word Steely Dan... I would ask for a phone so I could call my family and, and tell them goodbye. Steely Colin. I mean, what can I say? It's it's XCC doing Steely Dan. And this this isn't the first time they had done that. They they dabbled in a little bit on on Mummer. And they're not terrible in their in their Steely Dan imitations, but yeah, again, it is nice to hear Colin again. Um the the world needs more Colin songs, but again, this is this is another one where my attention fades a little bit it's it's okay but it's it's not one of my favorites from the album that's funny i never picked up on the steely dan thing uh i really really like this one i I like just the great uh, jazzy chord changes and uh so you say is that andy doing the guitar the lead guitar yeah it is yeah i never know if it's him or uh Dave. So the way Dave Gregory actually describes it. So there's an interview with him on the on the uh, what do you call that noise podcast? And uh, he says so Andy like very consistently has a very spiky guitar style uh, and Dave Gregory more does like the melodic embellishments and stuff. But that uh, that's sense. all I can really tell you. Yeah. Um, and again, like I really, really do like Colin's input on these albums. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm the millionth person to make this comparison. He's kind of like the George Harrison on the XTC albums where he kind of gives the different, you know, sort of tone that's kind of needed, uh, especially after, I don't know how many quirky songs in a row by Andy. It's kind of nice when something like this is sort of like a breather, uh, just good mood piece. I like it. Yeah. It does refreshingly go where you expect it to for the most part. Yeah. Here's <laughs> your brain arrest. Yeah. It's a nice change of pace. I like the chorus a lot. It's all very pretty and well-produced. I like that they play up the jazzy elements um, and it features some of Colin Moulding's best and most flexible singing, which he doesn't always pull off, but here he does. Dave Gregory is an all-star with his piano line here. And I like that Phipps can stretch out on an acoustic drum kit still. And and maybe this is easier to say knowing what came after this, but this doesn't sound like someone who's too jazzed. See what I did there about being in a (laughs) rock and roll band. Colin Molding is rebelling here, or rather he's unrebelling. He's getting less angry, less punky. His middle finger to society is slowly drooping, never to be extended again. Mm. He dresses it up really nicely here, almost in a tuxedo, but it's a little sad knowing what the softness of this arrangement portends for the future. And with that, we will move on to the final track of the album. This one is called Train Running Low on Soul Coal. Yes, it is. Are you on the dance floor yet? (laughs) 
So I described Seagull screaming kisser kisser earlier as onomatopoeic, and that's a word that applies to a lot of XTC songs. Like, uh, so you have helicopter whose rhythm section sounds like the rotors of a helicopter. Scissor man, which sounds like a pair of scissors. Snipping, snipping, snipping goes the scissor man. Putting into evil doers' games. Snipping, snipping, snipping goes the scissor man. Maybe you are in his book of names. Fly on the wall with tremolo and buzzing synthesizers that sound like a fly. And train running low in Soul Cole, a song that is a train. Yep. So producer Mike, excuse me, conductor Mike described the Lindrum earlier and that introduction with the quote unquote train lurching to life. It, it's just a Lin bass drum combined with a snare that Andy tuned down so far that it just, it just became white noise. So that's what that whoosh sound comes from. It's pretty rad. And the meat of the song itself, it has the feel of like this runaway train turning bends while trying desperately not to derail. Uh, I especially get that feeling during during the more melodic think I'm going south for the winter segments, which uh, they give me the feel of a tunnel followed by like a hairpin turn with sunlight hitting the cabin. Uh, and to add to the sense of whiplash, that's Pete Phipps on drums during those parts, not the Lynn drum. Uh, it, it's like you're seeing the assistant engineer load coal in the into the engine or, you know, one of those chemical logs from Back to the Future Part 3. <laughs> so, much like I bought myself a liar bird, there's a song underneath all of this mess, and Andy actually performed an acoustic version for the Channel 4 documentary XTC Play at Home. The way they pull me with something about to scream, man, they shouldn't do that. No, 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 they shouldn't do that. They are going south for the winter. They are going west in a hinterland between young and old. I'm a 30-year-old puppy doing what I'm told. And I'm told there's no more coal for the older engines. That almost sounds normal. I love it when you get Andy with the guitar. It's so much fun to hear him play. Uh, so I like both versions, but this is a case where I'm glad they really went for broke and ended the album big. Uh, it's the Big Express. Uh, and the lyrics here are just Andy reflecting on how much creative energy he has left before it's all spent, which is pretty wise for a 31-year-old. And luckily, he still had some ideas left in him. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Dan, why don't you go? Yeah, this song is nuts. And it's so great. Like it is. You mentioned earlier, like in the who writes songs like this hall of fame, like this is a clear entry and it is just the, it's funny that it, the, the album is bookended with this and wake up like two songs that kind of have just these really odd on the surface sections that don't really match up. But I think this one kind of connects the bits a little more, uh naturally but it is just so so good like the way it opens up on that melodic verse or melodic chorus out of the uh just dissonant clingy verses it's just so great uh yeah that's wacky <laughs> i love it ben the abrasive industrial noises that i don't 
always love on the rest of the album. They make perfect sense here because that's that's what he's going for. Um, and I, I really like the scratchy, scraping guitar solo. The verse melody and the rhythm always make me think of Snowman from English Settlement. Like my brain always thinks oh, yeah. that's where the song is going when I hear that. And it's got such a beautiful bridge, the South for the Winter part. Like he hid one of his all-time great melodies in the cracks of an arrangement that's otherwise just batshit crazy. This isn't the XTC you'd play for your friends to convince them that the band is great. And that would always be kind of an iffy proposition because, you know, even their Beatle quality choruses are a little wordy and and Andy Partridge's voice takes some getting used to. So something like Train Running Low on Soul Cole isn't going to win them any new fans. But if you're already a fan, it's mesmerizing. Yeah, I like this one. The Train imitation underpinning is somewhat of a gimmick, but it's a good gimmick. Um, I like the way that they that they ride it through the through the whole song. You know, people will often compliment, you know, the 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 guitar part in locomotive breath by jethro tull off of the aqualon album but this is much more detailed its depiction of what a train would sound like like it once it gets going like you it you can almost like in, in listening to to the riff you can almost you know just just hear the like visualize the uh the parts connecting the wheels on a on on a given car or the train like going around and around it's it's really it's really effective, and then by the time you get to the end, where it's it's taking that part and it's it has a woo woo yeah. like the they're they're pulling the the horn just to let everyone know that oh this train is 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 going too fast you you better get out of the way it's I really really like it. And then, just in terms of the uh, the general approach to the song, with the the noisy parts interspersed with the really lovely section put in the middle, I was trying to figure out like what song does this remind me of because it was nagging me for a while, and I finally realized what this song is. If I'm going to compare it to something contemporary, this is basically the Rush song between the wheels. If it didn't suck. <laughs> Rush fans, they tend to like it. I've never liked it, but I like Train Running Low on Soul Cole a lot. Um, I think it's I, I think it's a strong closer for the album. And we're done. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rich, uh, you have any final thoughts on XTC and or The Big Express? Well, I'm mostly going to talk about The Big Express. I've been talking about XTC for about two thirds of my life, so I want to talk less about them and more about the nature of an album like this and why I picked it. Uh, so when you get into a band... The natural urge is to find a list of uh, of ratings and listen to all the five-star perfect or close-to-perfect albums. And 
The Big Express is not that as we've established. It's the three star album, the six out of ten, uh, the B on the John McFerrin scale, which is a good rating. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's a sixth highest rating is my point. Yep. Yeah. And pound for pound, paper for iron, you're not going to get as many <laughs> fist pumping great songs here as you would on like some of the albums we're about to recommend. Uh, but now that we're in the era of Spotify and you have more freedom to just browse before you buy, I, I really want to stick up for the weird albums because I think they're often where you find bands and artists at their most experimental, showing the most personality, going down like these weird, odd artistic cul-de-sacs that they never revisited again. Uh, so the Big Express doesn't have most of my favorite XTC songs on it, with a couple of exceptions, but it's why they became my favorite band. I think those are good thoughts. I don't have a lot to add. I'll just say that, yes, this this album isn't as consistent uh, necessarily as some of the other ones that I really like from the band, but the high points are so interesting. And even even the the lower points are interesting in the manner in which they're not as high. Mm-hmm. Just Again, they were just throwing everything at the wall here. And when XTC is throwing everything at the wall and, they, and they're and they not too particular about what they extract from it, you get some interesting results along the way. So yeah, this, this is an album that I would certainly recommend as well. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way to put it, actually. Like, this is not their best album, but in a way, I think it's the one that has the most personality. And it's just, even if everything doesn't land just hearing them throw everything at the wall is a lot of fun it's just a lot of cool ideas crammed into this album and it's an album that you know i went into kind of thinking it was supposed to be one of their weaker ones and was pleasantly surprised so i've always kind of had a soft spot for it and it's their asia (laughs) (laughs) they wish (laughs) but i really like it I, i think it's again like it has a lot of personality and it's really really fun Ben? Yeah, I I really, really like The Big Express. It's a hard album to love, and I think that's intentional, and that pushes me away some. But it's fascinating and, and catchy in context that you wouldn't expect it to be. Partridge was trying to do something here, and it doesn't always succeed. And sometimes I'd swear he's trying to make this ugly on purpose, but I always appreciate his ambition. And he and Molding were such good songwriters that they never went too far off the pop track. Outside of maybe Rain of Blows and Shake You Donkey Up, these are all really good songs, even if it sounds like they've been dragged behind a train until they're disfigured. Rich, this was such a left field choice for an XTC album, but I like your rationale for it. It's been a lot of fun to discuss. And Ben, I remember that you used to really dislike this one. And one thing I want to note is that Ben and I actually first like interacted on the Internet just talking about XTC. He on on his review site, he gave Skylarking four stars and I had to inform him that it's worth five stars, actually. (laughs) So, Rich, if for whatever reason, this is somebody's first exposure to XTC, where should they go from here? So there are two XTC periods, uh, early Herky Jerky and later Studio Chamber Poppy, and I'm going to recommend one album from each. So uh, from the first, I'm going to recommend 1980s Black Sea, which has the distinction of being the only XTC album recorded to be played live. So it's nice and raucous, uh, but the band's songwriting was also tightening up a lot by that point. And I'm going to clip the song No Language in Our Lungs, which actually showed up on the show Freaks and Geeks during a scene where the geeks got picked last for dodgeball. There is no language in our lungs To tell the world just how we feel 
for their later period, I'm going to go with the album Apple Venus Volume 1 from 1999, which is a very special album to me because I actually got to buy it the day it came out, probably at Warehouse Music. Uh, So the band went on strike with Virgin Records for most of the 90s and and then reemerged as a duo without Dave Gregory for one last job uh, with the two Apple Venus albums. So uh, volume one is easily the better of the two and has an interesting sort of hybrid acoustic orchestral sound that Andy called orcoustic. And the album is both a creative peak for the band and defiantly out of touch for something released in second Apple Venus album, which is awkwardly titled Wasp Star, definitely has its moments just to keep in line with that whole, you know, don't ignore the three star album spiel I said earlier. You loved that one when it came out. I used to. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that was when like a, the same thing happened to me with Nightlife by the Pet Shop Boys. Like it was the new one. And I was like so excited for it to come out that I was blinded to its flaws. Uh, but you know what? In fact, I'm going to clip the song Stupidly Happy here because I think it's a great song that doesn't get enough love. Yeah, I like a lot of that album. Stupidly So for me, uh, I want to I want to double on uh, Rich's mention of Black Sea. I want to just mention that he doesn't remember this at, at this point. But uh, one of the songs from uh, Black Sea was one of my older son's first favorite songs. Uh, he used to request the song "Living Through Another Cuba" all the time <laughs> uh, during bath time, and I was happy to oblige. Wow! Yeah, so that was the delay again. We've We've long past that point, but I'll never forget that. <laughs> In terms of of other albums I mentioned, uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Skylarking. It's one of my twenty or so favorite albums. Um, I I go into great gushing detail about it uh, on my website. It's become somewhat in vogue to put down Skylarking uh, relative to, to, to its reputation and decided it as overhyped. But I'm happy to be one of those who are overhyping it. Uh, another one I want to mention is uh, the, the follow-up to Black Sea, which is called English Settlement. It's a double album released at a point where, in a way, they hadn't really earned a double album yet. And it's it, it's somewhat messy, but there's so much good material on it that I can forgive some of the weaker tracks on there. I, I mentioned the, the, the track, All of a Sudden It's Too Late, earlier. Yeah. 
um the 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 song senses working overtime comes from there um i'm really fond of the opening runaways and there's a lot of great songs on there and uh english settlement is one i would definitely recommend to anybody there's a lovely song called yacht dance on there and talking about dave gregory again like the little uh, guitar figure that opens the song that's a, that, that basically makes it that's entirely him he added that for drums and wires the one that uh pulled me in uh if you're coming from an angle of uh post-punk or punk that is a really good way in uh it's kind of like a spikier version of black sea it's a little more jagged and uh <laughs> angular but uh but it's also got like making plans for nigel on there too to kind of pull you in the easy stuff but i, I really really like that one and i kind of stand by it as being my favorite mm-hmm Ben, I've got Skylarking too. Uh, th- this is like that moment in a mighty wind where the folksmen are going to do a song and then they hear the new Main Street singers doing it, you know, right before they go on. <laughs> yeah, it's not obscure, but the band wanted to make a pop masterpiece and they did it. Uh, the, most of the hard edges are gone for better or worse. You have catchy pop hooks, clever riffs and ornate melodies. The lyrics are smart and funny. Uh, The production by Todd Rundgren is slick without being sterile, and the mood is dreamy. It's not as interesting as The Big Express, and my guess is that our producer Mike likes The Big Express more than Skylarking, but I'm sort of the opposite of that, so I go with Skylarking. Uh, From the first moment of the song Summer's Cauldron, you know you're in for something beautiful. Oh, and I suppose we should just mention it just to circle everything back again. Um, the Duke of Stratosphere album is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so like, so in the mid 80s, the XTC took on the alter ego, the Dukes of Stratosphere and released an EP in 1985 called uh, 25 O'Clock and an LP called Sonic Sunspot. And that's with a P at the beginning of each <laughs> word, like the word psychedelic. Get it? So those were collected as the single CD chips from the Chocolate Fireball. But more recently, they've been uh, remastered again by Stephen Wilson and reissued as the single CD and Blu-ray Surroundabout Ride again with a P at the beginning. (laughs) And you should pick it up because like he did a great job with the remaster and it's just such a great collection. They do all sorts of like fun pastiches and stuff. The song in particular, Pale and Precious, you you just assume this is something from the smile sessions it should be and yet they came up with it it's really really good so pale and precious is the light the world. 
don't care what the others might say. All right. I think we're done. Next album. Ben will be taking us down where the drunkards roll with Richard and Linda Thompson's 1974 album, I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight. I understand that Richard and Linda Thompson are a happy couple. <laughs> Is that wrong? We'll find out in a couple weeks. I suppose that's right. Roll credits. Thank you for listening to Discord and Rhyme. You can buy The Big Express and other albums by XTC directly from the band at burningshed.com from your local record store and also on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and Amazon. We've made you a Spotify playlist for this episode that you can find on our website, discordpod.com. Follow Discord and Rhyme on Twitter at DiscordPod for news and updates. Visit my two-decade-old music review archive at johnmcferrinmusicreviews.org. And as noted earlier, I rate albums in hexadecimal. Be warned. <laughs> Editing is by Rich. And special thanks to Mike for production, our theme song, and other original music. Thanks, Mike. See you next album, and be ever wonderful. Oh, no, I wasn't recording this whole time. <laughs> Just kidding. Ha 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 ha